This is Kevin Conroy, the voice of Batman. And you're listening to the DCAU Review, hosted by Cal and Liam, streaming at DCAUreview.com and on your favorite podcast app. Gotham City is out of control. An entire city screaming in fear. Super villains walk the streets, preying on the innocent. They will learn the true nature of power. The police are powerless. A creature prowls this urban wasteland. Is that? He moves in darkness. For some, he is a rumor. A name whispered in the corridors of the underworld. Waiting for the chance to strike. Let every criminal know the acid taste of fear. You crazy! Gotham has forgotten what justice means. The Dark Knight is here to remind them. Batman. Good guys wear black. Welcome, everybody, to episode 248 of the DCAU Review. I am one of your hosts, Cal, with me, my good friend, good brother, the man that runs our Twitter account, Liam. Liam, we are continuing here in the month of February with a month of Batman the Animated Series reviews. And uh, as you mentioned last week, as we previewed this week's episode, it is the... It's the week of love, you know. It's it's always the it's always a time for love. It's always a time to to love one another and and, and just you know pour it out and love on your best friends or your significant other, whoever that person is in your life. But this is the week that pops up on the calendar where Hallmark tells us that we have to go out of our way to show it. So what better way to do so than with a Romantic love story with quite the twist in it uh, as we cover this week's episode of Batman the Animated Series. That's right. So, uh, yeah, we talked about uh, about what it would be last week. It's the a uh, Poison Ivy-focused episode. First one of those in a while. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's the episode House and Garden. And, uh, boy, it, uh, it takes some turns, as we'll get to. But, yes, this is a... Uh, there's a little. This is the the general setting of uh, of domestic bliss and and romance and starting a family. It's all the themes are there, but of course, uh, when our stories take place in Gotham City, they tend to uh, to take a pretty hard left turn at some point. And uh, this episode is no exception. That is right. We will get into all of the twists and turns here in just a moment. Before we do, of course, we're going to get. The official IMDb synopsis for this week's episode, which originally aired here in the United States on Fox, on the Fox Kids programming block back on May the 2nd, 1994, meaning we are coming up in just a few months here on the 29 year anniversary of this episode's original debut. Liam, we would love to hear the official IMDb synopsis, which is, of course, brought to you by The Pod Tower. Head over to youtube.com slash The Pod Tower. Check out every prior episode review, uh, including the ones that have featured Poison Ivy and them, all available for you on YouTube. If you listen to your podcast there, it's a great opportunity. Head over to youtube.com slash The Pod Tower. Subscribe today, like our videos, and not only will you get content from us, but you get great content from some other great DCAU content creators. 
Absolutely. So this is the synopsis for House and Garden, which was written by Paul Dini and directed by Boyd Kirkland, with music by Shirley Walker and animation by Dong Yang. And that synopsis reads as such. Poison Ivy, after being released from Arkham, has apparently settled for a normal life. Married to her psychiatrist and doting on his two children. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't read this before. <laughs> I tried to read it out loud. Uh, <clears throat> Married to her psychiatrist and doting on his two children. Batman and Robin are suspicious. However, because... So- Batman and Robin... <laughs> it's so long Batman and Robin are suspicious however because semi-sentient plant-like creatures are committing mayhem all over Gotham yeah that one's uh it's a bit too wordy that one would take up like the entire back cover of a book if you're trying to just like look at the book there it's like ah did you just tell me the entire inside and outside of this plot here I'd give that one probably a, a D. So our, our streak of A's uh, end up uh, coming to an end after uh, after a streak of two. Is it still <laughs> after two? Is it considered a streak if it's two? <laughs> so just a happenstance. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, let's get into the plot, Liam. As we uh, as we get we open up, we we see a giant lumbering green shaded creature. Climbing up his way through a building and uh, in through a, a a door, we get these yellow, creepy eyes, and it's pretty much completely in shadow, minus a little bit of green. But uh, he breaks into this apartment and begins uh, tearing things off of the wall, headed right for uh, for an, an abstract painting of of sorts, and uh, headed right for the safe that lurks behind it. And uh, whoever this uh, this poor gentleman is, this poor bachelor that is uh, is lives in this apartment, is uh, startled as he enters the room and happens to see a monster uh, just completely destroying his room. And uh, as he as he tries to confront said monster, of course not knowing that it's a monster, uh, he is immediately assaulted. And uh, we learn very quickly in the next scene that uh, there is actually that he's he's not been knocked out, but on top of it, he's also been poisoned. And uh, we learn through some dialogue between Commissioner Gordon and a scientist. Uh, I guess it's a police for like a forensic scientist or something mm-hmm. that is uh, that is there discussing the case with com- the commissioner that the uh, strange green substance that they find at the crime scene is indeed poison and that uh, it's been found in at least four other cases uh, recently in the past month. Uh, it is at this point that uh, Batman walks in and uh, we learn that uh, the the victims, unfortunately, don't seem to be uh, don't seem to be doing very well, and they're unsure whether or not they're going to be able to keep them alive for much longer. Batman lurks and walks in and believes that uh, he his prime suspect in the in the this case of strange poisoning has to go back to one Poison Ivy, aka Pamela Isley. This is the fourth identical poisoning this month. We've kept the victims alive so far, but we're not even sure what kind of poison it is. Why don't you ask the woman who made it? Poison Ivy. She was our first guest, but we ruled her out. You mean she's still in Arkham? No, she completed her rehabilitation six months ago. The board gave her a clean bill. And now wealthy bachelors are being struck down by an unknown toxin. Sounds like Ivy's M.O. to me. I don't think she's interested in single men anymore. Hmm. 
You haven't heard? Not only did Pamela Isley clean herself up, she also got married. But uh, Jim Gordon is quick to correct him and say that while that was also the top suspect on their list, that uh, that she has apparently gone on the straight and narrow. And uh, because she's gone on the straight and narrow at this point, uh, she's, uh, yeah, they don't believe that she's uh, she could possibly be the person behind it all. Uh, Batman, again, full of skepticism, believes that it's, uh, you know, that she's likely still the prime suspect in this case. But uh, he, he finds out that uh, not only has uh, has Poison Ivy completed her uh, her her sentence and uh, her her uh, therapy at, uh, at at Arkham, but uh, she's also married and uh, started a little family. So uh yeah, go figure. This is where our uh, this is where our romantic wedded bliss uh, storyline, as we mentioned, sort of comes into play. And uh, Batman really, really s- s- suspects still that something might be going on here. So he and Gordon set off to visit Miss Isley, or as we soon learn, Miss Carlisle, at her residence uh, at out in the uh, in the outskirts of Gotham. Hi. Come on in. Thank you, Miss Isley. My pleasure, Commissioner. Though it's Carlyle now. Mrs. Pamela Lillian Carlyle. This is my husband, Stephen. Hello, Commissioner. Nice to see you again. Dr. Carlyle is our liaison between the board at Arkham and the police department. You also teach classes on criminal psychology at Gotham State. I've read some of your works. They were very impressive. Thank you. But I get the feeling this isn't a social call. Someone is poisoning and robbing wealthy young men. As painful as it sounds, all clues point to your wife. That's outrageous. Pamela hasn't... Darling, please. Batman, I don't doubt that I was your first and probably only suspect. Over the years, you and I have had a rather intense relationship. But that's all in the past. Believe me... I look back on what I was and I shudder. Locked away in Arkham with the obsessed and the insane and me just as lost as any of them. And then I met Stephen. His love and guidance brought me into the light again. That's right. So yeah, Batman and the Batman and Gordon after kind of discussing things with with uh, Miss Isley Gordon seems pretty satisfied that she's she's moved on and and certainly with the endorsement of both her doctor and husband uh that's that's an ethical i mean we find out later he wasn't uh he didn't do it willingly but it's just like nobody raised eyebrows at the the doctor marrying his patient all right uh but anywho yeah, what kind of uh, what kind of what kind of situation they have going on over there in, in arkham like what is this normal P- patients right. are marrying their their like there wasn't any sort of ethical like is he st- and he's He's still, as far as we know, on staff at Arkham. It doesn't say like uh-huh. he left Arkham, so that yeah, that that would be an immediate like. Maybe he's maybe he's got he had I think some. You get fired. Yeah, <laughs> that's that seems. Isn't that why Harleen Quinzel left Arkham to begin with, so that she could run away with the Joker? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. okay, all right, just track these Arkham. These Arkham doctors, not. Uh... So there is a precedent. However, it's hard. To, it's hard I imagine it's hard to date. <laughs> When you're, you know, you could be held hostage by the Mad Hatter and at any given moment of your day, uh, maybe it's hard to find uh, time for a social life. But sure. uh, yeah, uh, two for two so far on 
uh, psychiatrists uh, dating their their Arkham patients turning out to not be a good thing. But yes, we uh, <laughs> with with that break, we uh, we we cut to Dick Grayson swinging bachelor Dick Grayson as he's studying with a uh, with a young co-ed for his uh, for his upcoming finals at, at uh, Gotham University. And uh, just as things seem to be heading in the direction of romance, uh, he gets a phone call uh, from Batman, who is uh, who kind of ruins the mood, so to speak. And don't tell me the great Dick Grayson is spending the night in for a change. Hey, we got finals coming up. But what about those cheerleaders I always see chasing you around? Can't they help you pass calculus? That's not the reason I asked you over. Oh no. No, I just thought it would be fun to get together and study and talk and, um... And? Hello? It's me. Oh, hi. I wasn't expecting to hear from you tonight. I'd better go. Uh, do you have company? Not anymore. Sorry. I need you to check on a teacher there at GSU. Stephen Carlyle. I was in his class last year. Nice guy. He's not in trouble, is he? Possibly. See what you can find on him. Family history, places he's worked, anything. Right. I'll check back with you later. Cindy? Dick mentions that he had taken a, uh, a class of his in the previous semester and that he was a nice guy, but that uh, something is something seems afoot. And before they can really go on with uh, much more conversation, Dick hears a knock at his door and uh, he thinks perhaps it's his, his young girlfriend, Cindy, coming back to apologize. But instead, it is the same, seemingly the same green hulking monster that we saw in our, our little cold open there. And that's our big dramatic act break because we see the the hand swinging down and uh, and before we know it, uh, Dick is uh, Dick is out and we cut back after that to the to the dorm room where it's now a, a crime scene and Commissioner Gordon is there along with Bruce Wayne. We got some more great Bruce Wayne outfits to talk about in the uh, visual. Oh heck yeah! Back to back excited. weeks here. But uh, yes, we have we uh, we discussed that uh, unlike uh, with with Bruce with the other billionaires and millionaires who have been uh, attacked by these monsters, Bruce has something perhaps even more valuable than than money and valuables to uh, to steal or to or uh, or to to get uh, to get the most uh, bang for your buck. I guess when you're when you're holding up Bruce Wayne, you don't go after his his physical property. You you go after his his ward. So. Uh, Bruce is uh, ready to pay the ransom and and get it back, or, or he's he's thinking sort of thinking over his options, I should say, as he's as he's back in his car driving away back to the manor. And wouldn't you know it, he he picks up a stowaway in the form of again the same strange hulking monster. Turns out it could talk. Keep driving, or your neck gets a new air hole. What are you? I do the talking. Bring five million in cash to the docks tomorrow midnight. Come alone, but the kid is history. Nod if you understand. Smart boy. 
it, we see that it has these kind of strange claws, which I guess we figure out are, are what is they're using to poison these people. And he holds a claw to Bruce's neck and uh, and instructs him to uh, to bring a suitcase full of cash to the docks uh, the next night. And then uh, just, <laughs> again, we find out later that these are sort of mindless drones that Poison Ivy has created, spoiler alert. Mm-hmm. But like he slams when he's when he's gonna make his escape, he slams Bruce's head as hard as he can into the steering wheel. <laughs> I'm like, what if Bruce Wayne is unconscious? Foot goes down on the gas, and and he crashes it into the side of the road and dies. How are you gonna get your money then? Right. Yeah. You you pretty much blew it at that point. Not not exactly the smartest thing to do when you have a <laughs> You know, you have money literally driving your car. So, yeah. So Bruce, yeah. So Bruce heads back to the manor. He and Alfred the next morning are kind of discussing the situation. Alfred's, uh, Alfred seems like overly concerned about the money. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> gotta know where that. Pay- I was saying, where's that paycheck coming from? You he's, know, he's, yeah. He's a little concerned that this might affect his uh, his holiday bonus, I guess. But uh, you know, he's a senior citizen at this point. <laughs> He's not, I mean, he's, I, I, I don't, is he a U.S. citizen? Is he eligible to co- collect Social Security? We don't know. But so it's, at this point, was he going to go out? The British CIA or whatever he's in. Right. Uh, have a pension. Right. Yeah, was he going to go out and find another job taking care of another rich family? <laughs> you think Veronica Vreeland's just out there hiring <laughs> butlers left and right? I mean, you know, it, worried about where that <laughs> paycheck's going to come from. Absolutely. So he's Alfred's a little bit concerned, but uh, but Bruce says the priority number one is uh, is getting Dick back, and without any sort of other leads to go on, uh, he doesn't feel like he has a choice but to uh, to turn over the money to this this creature. Uh, however, he still is pretty sure at this point that Poison Ivy is somehow involved in it, and so he decides he's going to go out in broad daylight. And follow her around in the Batman costume. It's not matches Malone going out. It's not <laughs> the reporter disguise from the Croc episode. It's it's Batman in a tree, in on top of like residential sub suburban residential homes. Yep. Just just out in the middle of daylight, spying on her as she takes the kids to school and shops and, and everything and he's got like a little radio receiver hooked up that uh where he's talking to alfred what's she doing now sir buying squash i've been keeping tabs on her all morning and so far she's done nothing more incriminating than return an overdue video even paid the late fee could it be poison ivy truly has reformed i want to believe it why can't i the greenhouse checks out, too. Nothing but plants and flowers. Sir? Later. He keeps pointing out that, well, she's not doing anything sinister. She's not doing anything strange. You know, she dropped the kids off. She looks like, a, you know, your regular suburban homemaker. Um, and uh, Alfred asks him, hey, is it is it possible that she's really she's really changed that this is all legitimate and Batman really wants to believe it, but he just can't bring himself to. And 
as he follows her and uh, back to the house after picking the kids up from school. He's uh, seemingly about to kind of disengage from uh, from his reconnaissance. And uh, at that point, some vines that were uh, across the chimney come to life and, and tie him up. And seemingly uh, she has him dead to rights, but uh, Poison Ivy just lets him down. Pamela just lets him down and once again explains that she has no interest in uh, in this old criminal life of hers and that all she's ever really wanted was was to have a family and you know for the first time that she can remember she's truly happy mm. and it's it's at that point that uh, the batman does believe her and, and even calls her mrs carlisle which is the doctor's name um for the first time so seemingly with uh with suspect number one now ruled out Bruce and uh and just gosh I can't wait to talk about this in visuals he's he's dressed in this like black overcoat and fedora like he's like he's the the shadow Mm -hmm. or uh or the spirit or something it's incredible we're out on the foggy docks we'll certainly talk more about this in visuals and uh he's ready to uh to make the exchange he's brought his his big suitcase o cash (laughs) <laughs> and uh and the green monster is uh is here with uh with dick in tow all tied up uh but c- pretty quickly the situation deteriorates when it's clear it isn't just going to be a uh, a simple exchange yes uh despite yelling in a very stern voice at this hulking monster to show the boy over and over again <laughs> and uh, demand that he release him yes the the monster is in no way tim- intimidated and uh not only does he uh does he get the money but he then hurls bruce after a brief struggle into the uh off of the dock and into the the harbor below and uh, luckily, Bruce was prepared for this, and not uh, it looks like that uh, Bruce might have been poisoned as he gets uh, scraped in the back, just as we saw the uh, the the attack on the first gentleman at the very opening of the episode. So he has these scrape marks across his back, and he's plunged into the uh, the cold waters below. However, uh, Bruce, once plunging into the waters, takes off said overcoat and uh, reveals that underneath of it, he had some sort of uh, like padding or protection in order to to stave off the uh, the attack. So uh, you gotta love the ingenuity. And and hey, there's a there's a a canonical reason for why he uh, he was wearing this oversized uh, jacket and coat uh, at at the uh, the trade off here. So. Uh, and not only did he have, was he prepared with this, uh, with this extra layer of protection, uh, he was prepared with the bat jet ski, which we can, uh, we can, we can perhaps <laughs> talk about later on, but first time, last time, only time appearance of the, uh, of the bat jet ski, I think, um, I don't know. Nightwing's skidding around on one in one of the episodes. He is, he is, I guess you could technically, this one has some, some pretty neat fins and definitely would have, uh, would have been a great action figure accessory if I do Mm -hmm. say so. But uh, yes, Batman, uh, Bruce changes into the the Batman suit. And uh, just as the the green monster appears to be uh, ready to do away with with Dick at this point, he uh, he is attacked by Batman coming somehow launching himself up high enough for this giant dock. Don't ask me how the physics worked, but he got the thing high enough to launch it up and uh, and onto the dock in an attack against the, the green monster. He uh, he's able to sort of uh, to 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 scare the monster away and um, 
the after uh, cut it after cutting off the claws with uh with the battering that's right he does sli- slice off the claws and the monster is uh, is immediately terrified uh so the the monster then hurls some uh some crates at batman and runs away and uh batman goes to sort of check on dick to make sure everything's okay so uh we get uh, the next scene is is batman and robin sort of discussing exactly what they saw and and uh and robin again pointing back to poison ivy as the the obvious choice as to who's behind this all but batman suddenly potentially maybe believing that she has turned over a new leaf uh and mentions that uh he he interviewed her he he saw her he he met uh he met both her and her husband carlisle who bruce had uh, as you mentioned had called in order to try and get uh, dick to do some mm-hmm. reconnaissance on on this professor because not only was he the the he not only did he work at uh at arkham asylum but he also worked at uh the Gotham University also so Dick was very familiar with him because he was one of his teachers he took one of his classes and uh Batman happens to mention in this little conversation that they're having that he met Carlisle and his two sons at which point uh Robin begins to question not only did he believe that Carlisle's ex-wife was the one that had custody of the kids but that their two kids were not in fact boys but they were girls I guess I should be grateful that thing used a fist on me and not poison. Right. But we're still in the dark as to who's behind this. You don't think it's the plant lady? All she wants is to be left alone with her husband and sons. Sons? Carlisle's two boys, Chris and Kelly. I know Chris and Kelly. I was in Carlisle's class when his ex brought them to visit last year. I thought Carlisle had custody. No. And here's another shocker for you. Chris and Kelly our girls uh so this is uh this kind of puts the jig up on on poison ivy and batman uh and robin head off back to the uh the the suburban home of the carlisles at this point where we get a little robin reconnaissance as he's looking in through the window and uh the the boys and the and uh steven are, are sleeping so batman and him begin sneaking around and batman sets up a little trap as an insurance policy that we'll see uh, later on as, as to where that comes into play but as they break into this greenhouse they see that the plants are plastic which uh which leads to a little cavern underneath of the greenhouse where they go down and straight out of a horror movie at this point some hands jump out of this mysterious tub and ask beg them for help <gasps> dr carlisle help me <coughs> She's insane. Has to be stopped. You don't know what she's done. I was her doctor in Arkham. She said she wanted to reform. I trusted her. Let her get too close. One little kiss, and dear Stephen was my slave. 
we uh, we realize that these hands belong to none other than perhaps the real Stephen Carlyle as uh, he begins to try and explain what's happened to to him. He says that uh, he trusted uh, Pamela and he believed that she was ready to move forward with her life. But unfortunately, she had taken advantage of him. And it's at that point that Batman and Robin turn around to hear some children's voices, just the creepiest children's voices that you will ever hear mm-hmm. and see some uh, some plants that are struggling to open up and sort of give birth to these mutant children. And uh, that is when Poison Ivy herself makes an appearance and begins to sort of explain just exactly what happened. Uh, she was in in desperate need of uh, of wanting to have this normal life and and raise a family, but she need she wanted control over them, and uh, she realized that she could uh, she needed money, and she needed in order to be able to grow these uh, these experimental plant mm-hmm. babies that <laughs> she used by uh, combining Carlisle's DNA. By the way, she uh, she tricked him by uh by using her mind controlling lipstick that we saw back in pretty poison so mm-hmm. she, she used that to trick carlisle and then uh she's using carlisle's dna and mixing it with humanoid like to make these humanoid plant children she refers to his um raw materials oh <laughs> it's what she says she extracts his raw materials uh, in order to create these these pod babies, nice way to get get around the uh, the sensors for that one. There's yeah, there's a couple there's a couple little notes I, I have about that. Um, there's a there's a commentary track on this on the, I think it was originally from the original DVD release and then uh, was ported onto the Blu-ray version as well that I watched today. And yeah, there the the bit about her being sterile and not being able to have children. Paul Dini has been has been quoted as saying that. He thought that might get the whole story thrown out right away mm-hmm, mm-hmm. just to expressly state that. Um, and then, yes, this I and then the bit that I personally couldn't believe they got through was her talking about extracting his or that that uh, that her fake husband had uh, had supplied uh, supplied raw materials of <laughs> and she had extracted his DNA. I was like, wow, they really got away <laughs> with some stuff uh, in, in this one, for sure. He was useful in signing my release papers and for supplying certain raw materials for my experiments. But the marriage was, well, a fake. And these mutations? Our children, Batman. Plant-based life forms enhanced with Stephen's DNA. They're not truly human. In fact, their lifespans are somewhat like certain rare flowers that blossom and die in a few days i see at first it looks like a child then it resembles dr carlisle and in its final phase in its final phase before it burns itself out the creature becomes my willing enforcer and bodyguard indeed and i i sort of buried the lead there like that was the whole point of her she she mentions that uh, in one of the conversations with Batman that there comes a time where a woman really does want something more in life and that she wanted to start a family, but she was unable to because she was sterile. And she, it was a trade-off, uh, as she said, uh, for her immunity against poisons and toxins that Mother Nature unfortunately left her sterile, which I believe also, correct me if I'm wrong, but Paul Dini mentioned was, a, was a, originally a Denny O'Neill, the famed Denny O'Neill. Mm-hmm 
uh, had used that in one of his his Batman stories, and uh, he lifted it from that, uh, having having found it so interesting and such an interesting plot device. So, yeah, so she can't have actual kids, so she's using the quote unquote raw materials mixed with plants to create plant humanoid babies that really aren't babies. Um, and we learn Batman begins to put the pieces of the puzzle together that they start out in the form of these children. They have sort of a rapid growth. Poison Ivy said their lifespan, unfortunately, does not uh, does not last but a few weeks or in some cases a few days. Their initial form is the young children, the the form that uh, we see the uh, the children that she's purporting to have been Carlisle's. And then, of course, they eventually grow up into the adult form, which is the Carlisle form. And then uh, right before they they cease to exist, they turn into these horrible green plant monsters. So it's at that point that the the plant monster that Batman met on the dock once again reappears. And we see that Poison Ivy has fed these these babies that had just sort of hatched from the plants this accelerant essentially which uh which causes them to also quickly grow into these beasts so now it's batman and robin and carlisle trying to escape five to six different plant beasts as also the children and the carlisle inside the house that robin saw were also fed this accelerant so there's just green plant beasts everywhere and uh, and Batman and, and Robin are doing their best to try and escape as quickly as possible. And it's uh, got to say, it doesn't look good for a little while there. <laughs> yes, but uh, we do have a, we have a little a little uh, 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 nod to this a little earlier in the episode when they first arrive at the house. Robin is kind of doing a little bit of recon checking on he sees that the uh, the the Carlisle and and the other two children are asleep in the house, but that uh, that Ivy isn't there. And uh, meanwhile, we see Batman fiddling with something next to the greenhouse, and we're not exactly clear what it is, but he just refers to it as insurance. And uh, yes, as as Batman using some various uh, some various different ways, he pulls out a couple of live power lines and shocks a couple of them. Uh, Robin pulls out a pair of hedge clippers to fight one of them off, which is a pretty funny. A funny little bit there but then we get our, our main event here which is batman uh swings up to the the sprinkler system inside this greenhouse and uh breaks one of the uh one of the faucets open and as the uh the liquid begins to pouring out it's clear very quickly that this isn't just water and in fact as uh, as as that uh, that distracts the rest of the monsters long enough for batman to turn the sprinklers on completely you see that he is uh he has filled it with weed killer and uh, of course, these all being plant-based beings, they're all slowly but surely melting away. Is that what we does? Weed killer kill plants that instantly? I mean, I think the commercial for Roundup does like an accelerated animation of it. It's usually within a couple of hours, but I don't think it okay. melts them that way. Maybe this was like a hyper concentrated weed killer, yeah. you know? And I guess I guess she said that they're. Uh because of this accelerant she gave them they were only going to live a couple of minutes anyway so the fragile that's dna fine. that they had yes mm -hmm. that's that's fine i'll accept that but uh, yes the as the uh, the the monsters begin to fade away and poison ivy sort of slowly walks up the steps and realizes what batman's done uh we're we're not quite done with our, our big twists yet in the episode but first i just want to i just want to point out that when uh, when Poison Ivy realizes that it's weed killer coming out of the sprinklers. <laughs> Batman tells her, 
And his explanation for why he thought to do this is, and I quote, I figured whatever you were up to involved plants. <laughs> the world's greatest detective, ladies and gentlemen. He Nothing solved another. Past him. He cracked the case. Anyone else want their weeds whacked? took your chance with boys i howled <laughs> it just it's just so superfluous like why why you would need to say that but yeah yep. um but uh but yes he he what he lets her know that he figured that plants were involved in a poison ivy scheme and uh but as as i said there there's one last final twist for the episode which is that uh, slowly but surely, poison ivy also begins to fall and and begins to melt away, just like these plant-based clones. As we we find out that while she couldn't replicate, uh, they mentioned that Carlisle's the actual the you know as as I think you mentioned, uh, Carlisle's actual children are are girls, but she could not replicate that with only only uh, Doctor Carlisle's DNA. Mm. But what she could do was make a clone of herself. Uh, which she did, as we see uh, this clone f- sort of falls into Batman's arm and then slowly melts away just like the other plant monsters have. And uh, and we find out that Poison Ivy got one over on, on Batman and Robin here and, and has escaped. And we uh, we kind of cut the, the sun is starting to come up here as we see the, the police tending to Carlisle and Batman and Robin are sort of just discussing the end of it. And, you know, Robin's sort of lamenting that she got away, but... Uh, Batman says that he he doesn't really think that uh, even though that she does get away, that perhaps uh, we still aren't going to see her again anytime soon. Because uh, even though she went about it in a the most horrific way imaginable, he still truly believed her when uh, when she told him that this was the first time she'd ever really been happy and that this was really what she wanted for her life. And uh, we kind of have that uh, hit home as we see. Uh, a plane leaving Gotham City that, uh, that the real Poison Ivy is on, and she's uh, she's looking in like an old memories photo album. We see some uh, some fun little Easter eggs to previous Poison Ivy episodes uh, in picture form, and then uh, the last shot is her uh, her wedding to uh, to the fake Stephen with her her fake children's there, and we we see her shedding a few tears as uh, as uh, her methods may have been uh, been quite evil, but. Uh, what she wanted, uh, you know, is is a very human and normal thing to want. It's just uh, the way she went about it, of course, being the the most terrific and terrible way possible. So that's that's how we end it with this very kind of bittersweet ending where the good guys win and the 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 bad guy gets away, but it's nobody's really happy. It's the, maybe the 
the bad guy or bad bad girl in this case is probably the least happy of anyone. Yeah, uh, I guess we can get into our scores for the week. Great, uh, great job! I'm giving ourselves a high five on that synopsis. We did, we did a tremendous <laughs> job there. Uh, but yeah, as I as I sort of uh, watched this, this is another episode that. I think we had on, I think we had this on videotape at one point. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, it's one that I was somewhat familiar with. Um, I had forgotten the reason why uh, she had, she had required the, uh, what, like what her motivation behind it was. I didn't, didn't remember Mm -hmm. that, but that's certainly interesting. I think it is, there are parts of it that are a little goofy. I think that the monsters end up being a little bit more goofy than horrific, which, Mm-hmm. was i think had more to do with the the design of them uh that we'll talk about in visuals in a moment mm-hmm. um but they're yeah the twists are very interesting i think that the horror the horror aspect like the idea of them going into this basement and seeing her growing like plant babies and those babies being really creepy and um you know the idea that she's <laughs> the idea that this whole thing though was found out because she needed money to, in order to continue the experiments in order to continue making these babies in order to perpetuate her continued fake family's existence is a little bit is a little bit goofy but hey i guess you had to have some reason or some way for batman to figure the whole thing out so mm-hmm. uh, you know it's 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 an interesting episode. It's an interesting concept. There's parts of it that are interesting. Um, I don't, I didn't love, I, because I didn't love the monster aspect of it and it felt a little bit goofy at times um, with, with the mon- the plant monsters. I, I think I probably affected my score just a little bit, but um, I ended up settling on a, on a six out of 10 for the story. I think there are cer- certainly some, classics uh paul dini written heartstring tugs wherein you have the realization that you're creating this you're creating a character that is evil but is evil for a motivation that you know you can even if you can't relate to it directly you can identify with the idea you can you can certainly uh commiserate with them over the idea of oh, okay she just she wants a family but because she's criminally insane, this is the way that she went about doing it. Like, but right. there's, her, there's, her. there's tragedy in there. Yeah. And that, yeah, that's something they, that uh, uh, Paul D talks about on that, on that commentary track is that, you know, one of the things he said about what makes, what makes a good villain, generally speaking in a story is that their wants and needs, whatever they may be in the story are understandable. Mm-hmm. Like, like you just said, they want, she wants she's come to a point in her life where she wants to settle down have a family raise some kids very normal thing to want you know (laughs) a lot a lot of people a lot of people want that um it's very understandable to want that but because it's what makes her a villain is the way she goes about it and the way she goes about it and i think it plays very well into this poison ivy character of uh, a need to control it completely mm-hmm. um there's no there's no half measures here so to the point where she creates a never-ending assembly line of clones that start you know they're her kids for one day and then they play her husband and then they turn into freak monsters that go rob 
rich people and then they die and we just keep this assembly line going and it's this it it, it does get a little bit ridiculous and very very sci-fi very horror movie mm-hmm. uh, it's definitely a lot of influence of that i think so it, it does get a little bit you kind of blow it out to the the ridiculousness of the way it goes but this it's a very human motivation that i think uh, that follows her in this episode and and going all the way down to that ending of you know she's not she's not twirling her mustache or kicking her feet up like she's she's won the day and pulled one over on Batman at the end like she's she has this sense of loss because even though it was this incredibly you know screwed up version it was her it was her Norman Rockwell painting it was her right, right. it was her white picket fence like it right. was what it was what she always what she perhaps always wanted truly. So I think there's there's something really kind of fascinating about that. Um, yes, it's the the part in the middle of the episode where Batman's on a jet ski fighting a giant <laughs> plant Hulk uh, <laughs> does definitely kind of break that. How what I think is like a really strong narrative. Um, but then you you go into hey this at the end of the day you got to sell toys you got to have uh, you got to have some action you got to you gotta you know you gotta tell a story that's it that's engaging for for all ages here so i i went a little bit stronger with my score i went with an eight out of ten um i do think just because this is and i say this as someone who probably is in need of reading there's been a lot of more recent poison ivy comics where i think they've expanded this character Mm -hmm. um that i have not personally read at this point but this was maybe this story is the most interesting i've ever found poison ivy as a character Mm -hmm. Uh, because like that's the gimmick the gimmick always works but you think of this in the same way of like a mr freeze or somebody who she's a fun gimmick she uses plants as weapons she has magic lipstick that she can hypnotize people with and she can you know use pheromones and all this stuff like it's a it's a cool idea but the character has never been particularly interesting to me on her own like it works when you pair her with with harley and you're doing the Thelma and louise thing or you know later on you turn that into a romance as they have more recent years but like on her own i've just never found the character that engaging sure. and i think this episode re- revisiting this today i was like this version of poison ivy is a really fascinating character and it's a shame we never really get to delve back into this side of her mm-hmm. um in her her subsequent appearances later on but yeah, I think uh, I think just for that that sort of character study of her and and her wanting the happy ending and and to to live a, a quiet normal suburban life, but doing it in an over the top supervillain way, I think that's great, and I think that's really fascinating. Yeah, uh, I I wholeheartedly concur. I will say, uh, if you are interested, uh, and I know you have read these, so I'm just saying this to the listeners. But if you are interested in seeing more of that story sort of fleshed out. Uh, some of the the tie-in comics, Batman, I believe the Batman Adventures Volume Two and Batman mm-hmm. Adventures sort of tackle some of that uh, additional Poison Ivy stuff. Our friends at Watchtower Database also did a very interesting Poison Ivy video uh, a couple mm-hmm. months ago. You can check that out if you're interested. Uh, all right, Liam, let's move on to our next category, which is going to be animation and visuals. Uh, you mentioned at the top, Paul Dini wrote the story, Boyd Kirkland responsible for directing the episode, and then Dong Yang responsible for animation. Um, all right, uh, highlights and, and lowlights. Highlights <laughs> for me, uh, Bruce Wayne's fits. We get uh, mm-hmm. we get Bruce Sands tie and an open jacket for his normal mm-hmm. old 
old faithful brown and brown and gold suit. I thought that was an interesting look. They went with that. Uh, then again, we also have uh, have the the dark suit with the uh, with as you mentioned on the docks, the docks look. There's like this sh- brief shot also where he's like rocking a turtleneck in the in the as they're putting the money money <laughs> together. Is, his money stacking out. <laughs> He's just rocking a turtleneck. I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. Like, that's an interesting, whether it's an homage to to the Burton films where where uh, mm-hmm. I, I believe Keaton's big in the news th- this week, if you're listening to this on the original mm-hmm. original drop date. But uh, Michael Keaton, his his appearance as Bruce in that uh, in the, the famous 89 Batman movies, uh, he'd rock a turtleneck or two, I believe. So mm-hmm. I don't know if that's an homage to that or just a the artist's choice for that. But I enjoyed that. And then. Yeah, the uh, the dark suit with the fedora on the docks, I thought was a great was a great look. Uh, I almost would have preferred that be like what he wore. Um, it mm-hmm. just it feels a little bit less. I don't know that brown suit. I just I, I don't get it. It's a <laughs> very like strange it. choice. <laughs> <laughs> like the only suit this guy like maybe the brown suit could have been the alternative. Then it would have been like, oh, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. He's like a brown he's wearing the dwight schrute special like okay he's wearing a brown jacket and a gold shirt okay very interesting nope that was his standard go-to um and uh so that that to me we had to we had to start off again with more of bruce's fits we had some great (laughs) alternate looks last week in uh in avatar if you didn't check that out go back in the archives and and check that out was even our uh it's our poll poll of the week for our spotify exclusive (laughs) poll is which bruce fit uh was our was the best one we might have to run that back again here this week which uh which Mm -hmm. bruce fit was the best for this week but um I will say I will also now uh, sandwich compliment this and say I thought the visuals were wildly inconsistent. I don't know if you picked up on that mm-hmm. at all, but there were there were scenes where characters looked way off model. They were shading Batman the wrong way. We've talked about that. I've I've talked about that mm-hmm. several times. Like the the Batman animated book had a very specific direction for like how the character would be shaded. Uh, in these scenes and it was always supposed to be kind of top down that's why you had this sort of blue the blue highlight on the top of his head and then like you might get a little blue on his nose but it would be kind of on the top of his nose this you're getting side highlights you're getting stuff from the back you're getting his face and the top of his head highlighted at the same time so you kind of see this weird line across his forehead there was characters whose faces looked different from scene to scene the the one scene where bruce is talking to poison ivy outside of her home after the vines uh wrap around him and he's for the, why is batman wearing a headset like a gamer headset in that scene like i know he's talking to alfred but like the first time last time only time we see batman using a gamer headset also weird choice but that scene where he, he gets pulled off of the of of uh of the rooftop the characters look like they're melting in that scene like it was it it was some like acom not good level <laughs> stuff in certain sequences um i know we've talked to a friend of the show kevin altieri who said that even though some of these episodes will have certain certain studios names attached to them sometimes that they would then farm them out to smaller 
uh, studios mm-hmm. to do certain parts or and it felt like this was not a complete 100% Dong Yang production because there were some scenes that kind of looked like your prototypical Dong Yang. And then there were other scenes where, whew, man, things were struggling. Yeah, there's there's a real jitteriness. And uh, they actually even point that out on on the on the commentary track for this episode that uh, <laughs> in almost every sequence. And I think it's the second act when we're when we're when Batman's following uh Pamela around town when she's walking it's just got this weird jitter and it's it's some sort of timing issue uh I they they're they're, they kind of use like some industry terms that I couldn't quite grasp about like her being on the twos or something like that Mm -hmm. I think it had something to do with how you time the animation versus you know the actual animation itself being bad Mm -hmm. but yeah I, I would put that down I think Dong Yang as much as they became a mainstay later on in the in the in the dcau when they were kind of co-running things with coco you know for for superman and even working on static shock and justice league eventually i think to this point they're just they're just wildly there's a lot of inconsistency in this if you remember they did um robin's reckoning part two Mm -hmm. because if you look if you watch those two episodes back to back i think the first one is spectrum and the second one is dong yang I think, I don't know if it's just that these designs were too complicated and then Dong Yang kind of got their act together a little bit better once the, the designs were simplified and, and that kind of thing. Or maybe it was working more hand in hand with Coco later on that, that kind of smoothed the process out. But yeah, there's definitely a little, a little jitteriness to this. And, uh, and I think some of the action is not, as a result, some of the action doesn't have the punch that it that it could have uh, mm-hmm. literally and fi- figuratively in some ways and it's also the 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 ending there the, that last sequence is probably the best stuff and i would say aesthetically like design wise there's a lot of cool stuff in this episode uh, you have the giant weird piranha cactus men uh-huh. walking around um uh, that's that's a bruce tim design by the way i would have i would have put money on it being glenn murakami but it's <laughs> But it's a Bruce Tim design. Um, yeah, you can find that in the Batman animated book. Also, I think we posted that on our social media this week. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a great preliminary sketch that uh, that Bruce Tim did for that uh, for the design of the the plant monster man. That's right. But uh, so yeah, I like I like those that whole sequence where where Bruce is doing the the ransom drop and it's, it's they're on the docks and it's all foggy and they've kind of layered this uh, over there. They they talked a little bit about they kind of put this. It's very slow moving. It is technically animated, the fog, but it's just animated incredibly slowly. So it does have a little bit of life to it, but mm-hmm. that looks pretty consistent all throughout that sequence. And that does make that sequence stand out very well. Um, when when Batman and Robin are, are going through the, the greenhouse and they're going down into the lab, they have these flashlights and they're kind of pointing them all around. And the way the light breaks as it kind of crosses the camera is uh, is really impressive they had a uh, boyd kirkland was on the commentary track and he he mentioned that that was kind of the first time they had tried this sort of technique where i, I think before they would use kind of an airbrushing technique to show uh to, to when they when they would you know animate a flashlight but mm-hmm. here they kind of put this this darker mat this filter over it you know all, over the entire image and then just sort of left in the brighter parts you know cut out where the brighter parts would need to be so you kind of 
darkened the whole image and then just cut out where the light needed to be rather so I, like that was which is apparently a very common technique now mm -hmm. but this was the the first time on the series that they had uh that they had really uh, attempted that so like i i think that's that's pretty fun the the pod babies are so hunting yeah um the that, way they're they're like they almost do like a um what's the exorcist type thing where their their heads turn around like it's not a it's not a complete 360 but it's sort of mm -hmm. like a 180 where they turn around as they're sort of being birthed out of the pod mm -hmm. and they're saying like mama it's super creepy mm -hmm. uh, yeah the the shot of um of poison ivy when she kind of enters the room in in costume for the first time and she's sort of just riding a vine like she's sort mm -hmm. of on like like she's on a swing set yep i think yep. that's pretty neat yep. i will say the actual when the the babies transform into like young men and then into the big monsters that i don't think that looks bad mm -hmm. but all i could think about was spectrum would have this would look so much better if this was tms or spectrum like yep. <laughs> yeah. because we've because we know right because tms did did feet of clay you know, Spectrum did on leather wings. We've seen these incredible transformation sequences and body horror image imagery that they can pull off so spectacularly. And I was like, mm, this one. And I, again, that's something I remember when we the first time we we talked to uh, to Kevin Altieri, where he's like, should have gone TMS. <laughs> so much better and that's that's exactly what i was thinking about i was like if this was a tms episode mm -hmm. we'd be this would be tense this would be yeah. tense across the board just for that last five minutes probably absolutely but uh like i said i don't think that's bad but there is i think an inconsistency in the animation itself mm -hmm. which lets down the very strong work being done by our character designers by our background uh, designers because again it's, it's a very unique environment they're in suburbia then they're in this greenhouse in this strange lab at the end of the episode with these pods and everything like it's a really 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 well done and it's a very neat aesthetic but the actual animation itself i think is what lets this one down unfortunately yeah. Yeah. So I, you know, I think there are some great things in the episode. You know, I, I did like how the first scene they use the, the silhouette and you don't really see the goofy, like freaky looking design that, that Bruce mm -hmm. Tim did for the plant monster. Uh, it comes back later on in the scene where he's uh, he's hanging out in the back seat, threatening Bruce. Um, I actually really enjoyed that that sequence altogether, even even plot wise, as you mentioned, like the idea of him slamming Bruce towards the the steering wheel or what have you. But again, it it, it sort of harkens back to a, a, a typical monster movie or even a horror movie where the the monster is behind him and uh, is able to somehow escape view there's a and Bruce gets out out and looks and he's in a on an open road looks up and back and you get this beautiful sequence that sort of kind of fades out of him looking down the road with no sign of where this you know hulking monster went to so um, it leads to just like, well, how fast is this monster? Like, how fast can this monster move? Like, is this like a, is this like a Jason Voorhees type where he's just mm -hmm. so, he has superhuman speed? Like, what's going on here? So um, I really enjoyed that sequence. So there is, there is some stuff that was like, there's good skeleton, like there's good skeletal foundation here like there's good stuff that that could have been here it just as you mentioned i think what with a finished product was ends up sort of you know letting it down in places um there's still i think 
it's hard to balance it would be like breaking this down further like the animation this is why we do visual and animation i guess because the animation does let it down which brought my score down but there's still some really great visual stuff mm -hmm. in the episode so uh all of that combined to you know if i just went animation this would this would be real real low but because of some of the very very interesting visuals that i think accompanied this i i settled on a six out of ten for animation and visuals what about you yeah i went uh i went with the seven out of ten i do think like i said there's so much great design work in this episode and and the the creature designs that whole last act i think kind of saves it there are a couple other minor things I can nitpick. One is that this is one of those episodes where Robin's uh, green parts on his suit are blue. Oh, yeah. Um, because at, at the time, which is funny because you would have thought that could have been corrected for because I'm watching I'm watching the Blu-ray version. Right. But they didn't correct that. They just did a, an HD. <laughs> well, I don't now think it really told, looks blue. Right. Yeah, it's not the I, I mean, and I know that's not they don't actually recolor it. They just like put it through it processor that sharpens the pixels or whatever so i don't i didn't expect them to go back and recolor but it is something that's so obvious to me and at the time it was very famously because they had an, a literal color palette that they used when they were paint, painting these animation cells and it was the same palette used for the tiny tunes show mm -hmm. so there wasn't like a really good dark green that they could use for robin's highlight color if he's uh, if he's in shadow or if there's any kind of illumination that uh, that need that causes the the need for a highlight color on his suit so is he ends up with this weird bluey green color on his suit <laughs> for a lot of these episodes and like that took me out of it and then there's a part where robin once they pull carlisle out of the the tank or whatever that he's in robin takes his cape off mm -hmm. and puts it around him to try to you know keep him warm or whatever and <laughs> Robin just suddenly he has a red collar, yeah, on the suit, which I feel like this happened one other episode, and it it irked me then too. But uh, but it's but I don't I feel like the 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 cape has a collar on it, like it goes around his neck up to right. it. But I've always assumed that the uh, you know the, <laughs> the 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 shirt actually stops at his neck, and I feel like we've seen that plenty of times otherwise. Um, so that also, uh, distracted me a little bit, but again, these, these are nitpicky things. Like I said, I think the, the way they, they use, like you said, this sort of at the time experimental technique to, to pull off the flashlights and the way they, the, the light breaks as someone walks in front of them or they, you know, shine it right at the, at the camera and a few shots. I think those are, those are cool. That final act with all the pods, there's a lot of really cool stuff in there. Did you like um, um did you like Robin's backflip when after he like completely unnecessary acrobatics after he's the the scene as he's peering into the windows to check on the family as they're doing their recon uh in the the third act mm -hmm. Robin just just does a, a double backflip off of the off of the roof just because he he wanted to remind everybody that he was once uh, one of the flying Graysons, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, Batman's Batman's getting stuff done. He's looking up his weed killer because he thinks there might be plants involved. <laughs> meanwhile, yeah, Robin's Robin's doing a doing a little routine. I think that's a, that's a cute little that's a cute little sequence there. So, like I said, there's definitely some pluses in here, and uh, and some really really strong aesthetic work. I think you hit it there. There's a, there's a really good foundation on this episode, but it didn't quite all come together. But there's definitely still some highlights for sure.
Yeah, I, I don't think either of us mentioned, like, stopped to actually mention it specifically, but the actual, quote-unquote, death scene for the 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 Poison Ivy plant mm. is very, very, it's done very, very well. It's very creepy. It's very, um, yeah, I, I, it feels straight out of a horror movie. I don't know. Mm-hmm. You, you have your, your villain at the end there is just melting in the hands of the of the hero and the hero doesn't like doesn't understand really what's going on like can't can't comprehend what is happening as this this being is melting in his hands um Mm -hmm. but yeah again the animation maybe let it down a little bit but that's the fact that they were able to kind of also show that and i get it you're explaining away oh it's not real human it's a it's a plant being that's melting like they did a lot of melting plant zombie people Mm -hmm. in this in this episode so (laughs) uh yeah lots of lots of creepy visuals that uh that stand mm-hmm. out that yeah, uh yeah. for for a very interesting episode overall yeah yeah my my last one was going to be yeah when he uh when they they hear the voice they had the voice of the child calling out for mom first and then he he slowly sees the pot open and he you know he gets the the big round round eyes and 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 it just sort of backs up and then you see the the flashlight leave his hand and drop and oh, break yeah. on the ground i think that's again a great a great very very horror movie uh, moment there as we you know we see the the horrors of this man you know this of uh, of science and 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 evil have created it's it's great quite a quite a spooky valentine if i do say so <laughs> All right, Lane, let's move on to our next category, which, of course, is going to be music. And as you mentioned at the top, uh, the, the late, great Shirley Walker responsible for this week's soundtrack. Um, I didn't have a, a ton of notes other than I, I love the, the music for the opening scene. So we get a scene that's almost completely free of dialogue. Uh, again, back-to-back weeks here where we have mm-hmm. episodes that kind of open up with a... We did get sound effects with uh, with this one, but uh, m- mostly relying on the soundtrack. But I love that it's not the Poison Ivy theme straight off the bat, but you get the hint of whatever that... It's like a... It's almost like a wind chime or like a... I don't know if it's a glockenspiel. It's the first time mm-hmm. we use that term here on the... Uh, <laughs> review mark that down 248 plus episodes into the uh into the series and i said glockenspiel for the first time but it's, <laughs> it's some sort of bell or chime or something like that that is used um that just sort of rings out and adds to that like sinister creepiness and it it works perfectly as we said the theme of this being like a horror movie works very well because it just sort of sits there and as this creature is climbing it's just this one singular note that is mixed in with the orchestral music uh you get that one singular note and then the the strings are playing and the horns and then you get that one singular note and it it just kind of plays throughout that opening scene and then of course later on when poison ivy is once again revealed to be the actual person behind it we get the the classic poison ivy theme with that same uh, same instrument and you get the the variation of the notes uh it, the the music in that in, in that third act i think is is really what stood out to me and was uh the strongest uh did you have any other varying notes or any pieces that stuck out to you not really yeah it was that yeah that that music that starts right at the at the title card and is kind of brought back and when batman is first visiting her at the house with Gordon. And then again, when, when he's kind of following her through her day to day, and then 
the way they bring it back at the end of the episode, but now played in a much more sinister way. And, and you mix that in with the, with the poison Ivy theme and things like that. That's, that's, that's very good. And we we've talked about that, you know, plenty of times before of how you take a single piece of music and, and, but played in a, a completely different key or on a different instrument at the end. And it goes from this nice sort of, like we said, you know, Norman Rockwell, white picket fence, happy suburbia soundtrack to this horrible, sinister, you know, sci-fi horror movie at the end it's 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 quite impressive and it was a a, a great job done by uh miss walker unsurprisingly i will say yeah middle middle of the episode as far as like the action sequences and stuff uh, i didn't have uh too many notes there for those other than that uh, that the sequence on the docks i think they oh, kind sure. of br- they bring that again they bring that sort of episode theme in a little bit as this thing is, uh, as you get the big reveal and it, it begins to attack uh, Bruce, and then, and then of course you bring in the Batman theme at the end. I, I kind of, I almost laughed when the Batman theme comes in when he sets off the sprinklers at the end. <laughs> it's like this, it's like this real triumphant, like heroic thing, and then we're just watching these weird cactus hulks melt into into goo and bah, 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 bah. Okay, all right. <laughs> so that was a bit. That was uh, that was I thought that was a bit funny, but uh, yeah, I, I ended up settling on a on a seven out of ten for my music score. I didn't think there was anything spectacular, but uh, like we said, the the playing the same theme in in one way to indicate this domestic bliss and and, ha- and happiness, and then bringing it down to this utterly horrific moment when the children are coming out of the pods is uh, is is quite impressive. So I think that uh, that epi- episode theme kind of helped out. And uh, brought the score up a little bit. Yeah, I gave it the same exact score, seven out of ten. I think the opening sequence and the the culmination of the episode were enough to to give it a pretty high score. Um, and uh, you know, no surprise that uh, Miss Shirley Walker, uh, she was really good at her job. <laughs> She's a legend for a reason. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, Liam, let's move on to our final category of the day, which of course is going to be our voice actors. We have. A lot of returning uh, series normal. I don't know what I'm saying. We have a lot of returning series voices here for this week. And then we also have a a, a couple notable guest spots, a couple of names you might recognize uh, just from lit roles outside of the show, of course. But uh, let's go ahead and talk about this week's voice cast. That's right. So we uh, we have some familiar names, some name we've talked before. And a couple, yeah, a couple of fun guest stars here um, playing a, a very minor role. And I guess at the time she wasn't a, a big celebrity, so that can be understand. But playing uh, playing Dick Grayson's little uh, little girlfriend in in kind of the one scene is uh, Megan Mullally, who, mm-hmm. of course, folks would know from Will and Grace and Parks and Rec and plenty of other things as well. Um, uh, like ended up being like one of the biggest comedic act like stars of of her era for uh you know for that show and uh and yeah here she just uh i guess before her before she'd made it big here she's just doing a little voice there so it's always fun when those little uh when those little footnotes show up there so a fun mm-hmm. one to see in there and then uh voicing the uh doing the voice of the uh the plant monster when they're in their monstrous form is uh jim cummings who we've talked about before he voiced uh tigress on the the tiger tiger episode as well as 
the weird ape guy. Everybody else was a cat in that episode. And if there's an ape henchman, never like I was just thinking about that today and it pissed me off again. <laughs> what a legendarily bad episode. Check out our review of that one in the archives at dcaureview.com or on your favorite podcast app or on the pot tower on YouTube if you want to hear our thoughts on that terrible episode. Guy's obsessed with cats for, for some reason. He <laughs> made an ape man. Anyway. But he played uh, he played uh, Tigress in that episode. Also, probably more famously for people uh, who maybe like good things, is uh, he's the voice of Tigger on many uh, many iterations of Winnie the Pooh. That's what Tigger's do uh, best. There you go. That's right. And, uh, and Darkwing, I believe he's also the voice of Darkwing Duck in a lot of things. A lot of a lot of Disney afternoon uh, credits and uh, for Mister Cummings there. So fun to hear his voice here as the uh, the monstrous uh, plant monster again and. Uh, Another another voice that we would hear later on is uh, Scott McAfee, who plays uh, Chris Carlisle, uh, would go on a little bit later on to voice Willie Watt in, uh-huh. uh, in Batman Beyond and a few appearances there. So that's kind of a fun one there. And then uh, we have uh, we have uh, playing Dr. Carlisle. We have uh, Peter Strauss, who if you look up that guy's Wikipedia, you'd probably know his face because he's been in every show. <laughs> <laughs> Like there's just a lot of it's a lot of one episode of Law and Order here, one episode of Grey's Anatomy there. But you can follow his career all the way back to the I think all the way back to the 80s or even late 70s. So you can see him on things like the Carol Burnett show or or things like that as well. Uh, and uh, and then you know a lot of voice acting credits to his name as well. So playing uh, playing Dr. Carlisle, uh, the uh, the the would be husband of uh of miss isley here in this episode so that's uh that's that's a fun bit as well but then yeah i think really our other than um we do briefly have bob hastings as commissioner gordon and uh and ephraim zimbalist jr as alfred but we you know we have our two lead heroes and uh and then of course we have diane pershing as poison ivy and and kind of like i already talked about in plot uh, this is i think the the best this is the best solo Poison Ivy I think we got in the whole series. Mm-hmm. And and it's funny because in the first half of the episode, Miss Pershing, she's it's played very straight. Like you believe you want it's it's funny because that's a lot, that's literally a line in the episode is Batman says, I want to believe it. Like I want to believe that she's changed. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that comes through in in Miss Pershing's performance so much in this episode because you do get the feeling that, you know, when she talks, you know, there's, there's a bit of, you know, melancholy when she's talking about not being able to have children of her own and, and how happy she is with, you know, with, with Dr. Carlisle and his kids and all the way through to the end when she's, you know, creating, when she's talking, then she goes, takes this horrifying villainous turn down the end. And even at the end when she's playing the clone of herself and it's sort of grappling with the fact that it's dying and is sort of, you know, giving a little bit of expository dialogue about, you know, Poison Ivy escaping or whatever. Uh, yeah, this is uh, this is definitely, I think, her her best episode that we've covered to date, for sure. Yeah, she, her performance is really, really strong, um, especially the emotion, I think, that she has in the her her chemistry with Kevin Conroy in, in that scene where mm-hmm. she's talking about what I think the initial interview where she commissioner Gordon and, and Batman come in are, is pretty strong with her trying to, you know, uh, show that she's changed and reformed and that she's moved past where, what she used to be. She really, 
she really does a good job of selling that in the in that the way that she delivered those lines and then i think the chemistry that they have later on no pun intended the chemistry later <laughs> on uh that they that they both have in the the scene where she's again trying to explain to him that she's moved on this is what she wants she wants a life and and he sort of uh delivers some lines that are yeah he just sounds empathetic and and his him desiring to want to believe that one of his arch enemies could possibly turn over a new leaf is is really communicated effectively through the way that the they talk to each other and then at the end once this you know miss pershing as the clone is delivering the the entire uh, soliloquy of what she you know what the plan was and all this exposition um she she kind of returns to that classic evil undertone that uh mm-hmm. that she kind of delivers and um it's just yeah it's a strong performance all the way around for but for the cast i felt but i think for her it's definitely um in comparison to some of the other solo ivy episodes that we've had i think it's a it's her strongest performance because she gets to show a little bit of uh a, you know different emotion i feel like it's not mm-hmm. just angry plant lady that's mad at the world she has some subtleness to the way that she or some subtlety that she has to the way that she delivers some of the lines so um it's a different performance it, there was different things asked of her but i think that it's it's the most effective because you get to see a little bit more of the way that she can act as opposed to just kind of shoehorning her into the into the rage mode that she kind of has for a lot of the the poison ivy episode it actually kind of harkens back, I feel like, maybe to the first episode, to Pretty Poison, mm-hmm. where she has more of that, like, she's the girlfriend of Harvey Dent. Um, so you saw a little bit more of that softer side. And then for, after she kind of turns and reveals her evil plan in that episode, from there, we just kind of get straight angry Poison Ivy from the <laughs> from from then mm-hmm. on. So th- having her kind of revert back to that softer, calmer, gentler, feminine poison ivy is is certainly very interesting and uh, i think was done really well yeah and yeah to your point there yeah you either i think in her her subsequent appearances which have i think all been in ensemble episodes uh that we've covered since her first appearance here um except in not... oh of course bad episode here. blocked it out <laughs> <laughs> forgot about it blocked it out um most of her episodes have been either she's playing you know kind of this sultry the sultry vixen and she's she's kind of being you know uh you know she's in almost got him or one of those where she's kind of playing off the other villains and she's kind of being very sarcastic or or just recently in trial which we talked about or or yeah she's playing this unhinged like fly off the handle fly off the handle angry uh, you know, when she's bouncing off of, you know, when her frustrations with Harley or, you know, in Joker's Wild, when she and Joker are arguing over the TV or whatever, like, so getting to see this completely other side that we've really never seen uh, from her, where it's just this this more sort of, you know, content, simple, uh, you know, domestic housewife version of her, I think is is great. And and the way, as you said, then transitions into the the more traditional, the more sinister uh turn at the end of the episode it's uh, it's a great job by miss pershing and uh, and as you mentioned cal getting getting to play off of uh of of kevin conroy the late kevin conroy as batman um that those two together and in their interactions like i like like we've just been talking about that that sequence when when she catches him spying on her at the at the house and and she sort of tells tells him to leave her alone and 
and and he sort of begrudgingly accepts uh you know that that she isn't involved i think i think them as as you said the the strength is is those two playing off of each other in this episode and of course you also have uh kevin conroy getting to play off of uh, lauren lester as robin the first episode we've talked about with him for a little while here so uh always always fun to get him into the mix as well um but yeah overall i think on the strength of miss pershing and and certainly kevin conroy's performance as well uh, I end up going with a, a very strong nine out of 10 for my, uh, my voice acting score. Nice. I just went one point lower with an eight out of 10. Uh, one note that I will, will say I, I loved the Lauren Lester. Uh, he's mostly quips in this episode for the most part, mm-hmm. uh, with the exception of the scene with him trying to get uh, romantically involved with, uh, with Cindy as she's, uh, she's called, but uh, I love as as Poison Ivy is revealing her plan at the end of the episode and giving through all this exposition, uh, Robin responds with, Lady, you're nuts. It costs money to raise a family. You haven't changed a bit. Yes, I have. I meant it when I said I wanted a family that loves me. I just wanted it on my terms. Lady, you're nuts. Well, that's your opinion. And she responds just as <laughs> calm as can be saying, well, that's your opinion. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was absolutely perfect. And the yeah. delivery that Miss Pershing does yeah. in response to this, this very insulting uh, line that, that Robin has is, was yeah. really good. But yeah, a good, I, a good quip too is when he, when he grabs the shears and, and asks who wants their weeds whacked yeah that was good and then snaps the snaps the shears back and forth i think that's a that's a fun little bit there so yeah some a minor performance certainly for for mr lester this week but some some fun notes there as well yeah all right Liam. well that would begin to wrap things up for the episode so that means that we should go ahead and give our final scores for today so totaling everything up i end up with a 27 out of 40 what about you yeah, and I think I was just a little bit ahead of you in, in almost every category here. Um, I ended up with a final of 31 out of 40. So, uh, yeah, I, uh, I really enjoyed this episode. Um, we, can, we can talk about rewatchability here. I, it's hard to say that it's important because she's just back eventually. <laughs> right. Uh, this is her last appearance in the original animated series, mm-hmm. but there's no explanation to her coming back she's you know the very first episode of the new batman adventures she's in and up you know it's holiday nights and she's just in an apartment with harley like there's not uh there's not a big explanation of where she's been and in her her subsequent solo uh adventures that she does get in in the new batman adventures that's not really delved into as you mentioned there is a a a tie-in comic that uh that plays off of this a little bit later on down the line but yeah, we don't really get any follow-up to this directly. Um, it doesn't, even though it feels like this big pivotal moment and a big shift for the character. Um, so unfortunately, like I think this gets an, a, a, maybe a, uh, you know, I would give it a thumb up just because I think it's a good episode and it's a memorable episode. Mm-hmm. We didn't, we didn't mention this, I, I don't think during the episode, but this is, this one has a little extra nostalgia baked into it because uh, it was one of the episodes that uh, that was that made up the Adventures of Batman and Robin uh, Skybox trading cards, mm-hmm. which if you uh, you follow us on the socials, you saw you saw us posting about them this week. But uh, that's uh, you know it's, they're very not particularly high quality, but they were stills from from various episodes from this 
from this second uh, second batch of episodes, including this one. And uh, so it's got a little extra nostalgia for me. So as much as I'd love to give this a one or even two thumbs up, it's hard to feel like it's that consequential an episode mm-hmm. um, as far as continuity goes or even just, you know, it feels like it should be a big, important character moment. But when she comes back, it's kind of just business as usual. So, right. Um, so I, I, I guess it, uh, it's, hard, it's hard for me to say this is a must watch if you're going back through these, even though it's one that I would probably re- watch if I was going through for like a personal rewatch just because I like it. But mm-hmm. hard to say it's a, a must watch given our, uh, our ever shifting scale of how we give these, <laughs> give these things thumbs ups or thumbs downs for rewatchability. Yeah, I'd give it a one thumb up just because it is it's a Paul Dini written episode. Those are, you know, as we mentioned, adding layers and 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 different dynamics to your to your villains is an an important thing and is is elementary in creating a a a villain that is stands the test of time. So the best episodes that we look back on it for the animated series tend to be the ones, uh, as we mentioned, where you can relate to the villain or there's a motivation that makes sense um, with a hint of tragedy mixed in with their criminal insanity. So all of those factors, as we mentioned, play into this. Is it a little bit goofy at times? Yes. So that probably is it seminal to the actual entirety of the DCAU? No, um so because of that i'd say it's not a must watch but it's a good episode it's a paul dini written episode there's some interesting things in it there's some spooky horror elements that are used to just tremendous effectiveness so yeah i'll give it a one thumb up for free watchability all right, Liam. Well, that will begin to wrap us up for this week. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Uh, don't forget, if you want to support us, there's a multitude of ways to do so. We'll run through those now. You can subscribe to us on your favorite podcast apps, whether that's Apple, Spotify, Google, or any of those other ancillary podcast apps. Go ahead and subscribe to us. If you follow us on uh, on Apple Podcasts and you feel uh, feel generous, you can go ahead and leave a five-star review, leave a little blurb about what it is that you enjoy about the podcast. As we uh, mentioned recently, there have been uh, several, several recent reviews, so we appreciate those five-star reviews, people taking the time to, to say what they like about the podcast in case somebody else stumbles upon our, our little show here and want to know what's, uh, what's interesting about it or what stands out about it. So we appreciate that. If you listen to us on Spotify, you can also leave us a five-star review there. You can engage via the Spotify exclusive poll and the uh, Spotify exclusive question of the week. Uh, so you can leave your feedback there. Lots of opportunities to let us know what you think of the episode or you know whatever our funny poll of the week is uh, to engage with that. You can also, of course, follow us on social media at DCAU Review, both on Twitter and Instagram. As Liam mentioned, uh, lots of with the Batman, the animated series stuff, there's a just like a myriad of nostalgic things to talk about each Mm -hmm. week. So if we're doing a month of Batman animated series, you can bet your bippy that there's going to be talk about tie-in comics and merchandise and all that stuff. So uh, we, we try and include as many, many of those things for whatever show we're doing. But of course, Batman, the animated series just happens to have the, the most uh, available selection of that type of 
uh, at media outside of the actual cartoon. So check that out. You can also, of course, follow us on Instagram, as we mentioned. Uh, some some great stuff happening there. Love love seeing interacting with people as we talk talk with you on the social media. Slide into the DMs if you want to chat. Uh, you're not looking to post in, in public. We can definitely chat there if you're interested. Uh, of course, if you're looking to support us monetarily, uh, we would greatly appreciate that. You can check the show notes out. There's a link directly uh, to support us through our anchor.fm link. If you want to donate to the show, buy Liam and myself a coffee. Uh, you can also go ahead and check the show notes and head over to dcaureview.com and the shop there. Uh, it's uh, There's some, some interesting... Uh, gear that you can purchase shirts and hats and mugs and whatever fits your fancy uh, if you want to support us that way and of course as we mentioned at the the top of the program you can also always subscribe to us on youtube.com slash the pod tower that is another free way to support the podcast like the videos as we post them each week and comment there and uh and give us a, a little old subscribe there Liam, we are continuing here in the month of February with our Batman the Animated Series reviews. And why don't we highlight what we'll be covering next week? That's right. So, yeah, really, the, the hits just keep on coming this month. There's been a lot of uh, a lot of fun ones to talk about. And this one, um, I think, will be fun to talk about, but perhaps for a different reason. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, this is because it is is sort of infamous as one of Bruce Timm's personally named least favorite episodes <laughs> of, uh, of any of the shows he ever worked on. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is, of course, the episode The Terrible Trio. Wow. Uh, look at another one of those that we had uh, had recorded on videotape. So be interested. I haven't seen this one in several years. I'd be interested to see if we can look through it with that critical lens and uh, agree or disagree with the uh, the person responsible for the episode. Uh, also, we would be remiss not to mention we have our bonus episode review of Batman The Adventures Continue. Season 3, Issue 2 dropped this week as well. Uh, so make sure uh, if you are following along with those, if you haven't checked those out, give that uh, give that episode a listen. We'll have some interesting chats about exactly what happened in this month's issue and uh, where we're headed with the rest of the series. But uh, you won't want to miss that. Absolutely. But until next time, I'm Cal. And I'm Liam. And we'll talk to you on the next episode of the DCAU Reveal. Bye-bye.